You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today, we have one of the founders and current Better Man board members, Barry Davis, joins me on the podcast. We talk about why he wanted to help start Better Man, what he decided to do with his career when he realized, like so many of us have once realized, we're not going to play professional baseball. So what did Barry do when he realized he wasn't going to play professional baseball? You'll get to hear about that. And you also get to hear about his perspective on what life is like at the top of the career mountain. Those are my words, not his, but Barry is the CEO and chairman of a publicly traded company. So in many ways, he's made it to the top of the mountain that uh, so many young men aspire to. And you're going to hear some really surprising insights uh, from the top of that career mountain. You're going to love getting to know him. So take a listen now to my conversation with Barry Davis. Barry, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. It is so great to have you on here today with me. Thank you, Adam. Uh, it's great to be here with you. And uh, listen, I uh, I know I have a chance to do this personally uh, often, but I want to just thank you here before we get started. Uh, I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of Better Man and all of us who've been blessed by your great work. Uh, I can't wait each week for the great discussions you have with your guests and last week, I'll have to admit, you had my good friend Clint Bruce on, and uh, I've walked around all this week trying to figure out if I am on the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, <laughs> or the breakfast table. But I know for sure that uh, the way I need to be, my posture, what it needs to be as I go into those. That's so right. Thank you for what you're doing, Adam. Appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It is uh, my pleasure, and it's been a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- was that not great, those four uh, those four spheres of influence where we have. I mean, there's some days when we're in all of those, but I, he is so good with those pithy little uh, metaphors. That is, a, That was a really fun episode to record. Love it. And I can relate so much because those those four seem to be my world too. So yeah, uh, yeah loved it. That's really good. Okay. Well, Barry, here's what most of our listeners don't know. And that is that uh, we give Robert Lewis way too much credit uh, when it comes to Better Man. And if he were listening right now, he would be laughing at us right now that we just said that. You are the real brains behind uh, Better Man, right? And so um, why don't you just tell us a little bit of that story and how you got involved here? Oh, uh, yeah. Adam, you know, I, I'm laughing with you because uh, that is so untrue. Uh, Robert is a great gift to us all and uh, and a blessing to the Better Man team. Mm. Uh, I think what you're going to hear throughout this discussion today is the way that I've been influenced by Robert over the last two decades. Uh, not to be more like Robert, but to be more like Christ, mm. who Robert models as well as anyone that I know. And again, I've gotten to see that for a couple of decades. And so I just know how authentic and how real it is. Uh, and Adam, you know what a great team we have. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun to see the way that God has brought our team together with the different gifts and skill sets. Uh, I've commented to the team a number of times that it has been a whole lot easier recruiting for better man than it is in the energy business. And I don't know what it is. Uh, I think God just seems to listen more closely to our prayers about what we need, and he responds quickly. And so that's been really fun to see. But my story with Robert, uh, like so many of the others you've had on it on the show, um, uh, he's had a tremendous impact on me. Uh, during the times of, of men's fraternity and then all the years that followed, uh, I really had a front row seat uh, in that we served together from about 2000 to 2010 on the board of Leadership Network and Halftime. And that was really the heyday of men's fraternity. And so every quarter, uh, I would just look forward to Robert's update on how it was flourishing and the impact that it was having on men. 
Uh, and during that time, uh, in fact, I took at least a dozen groups through the 23-week series. So if you, you wow. add that together, you know, 12 times 23 weeks, I spent a lot of time in yeah. men's fraternity. And I used it until I could no longer find DVD players, quite frankly, to play it because <laughs> the technology had changed. And so finally in 2018, my good friend Austin Adams and I went to Little Rock to see Robert, thinking that we were going there to convince him to launch what has become Better Man. But what we found out when we got there was that Robert uh, and his good friend, Russell Rainey, they were already doing it. In fact, they were on their second pilot group there in Little Rock, and they had something like 600 guys in a room in Conway, Arkansas. And so uh, after a discussion uh, or a, about a day's worth of discussions, we all joined forces and we decided to go to work together. And uh, like all new organizations, uh, one of the first things we had to do was come up with a name. And Robert's wife, Sherrod, gets all the credit for the name Better Man. As I understand it, she and Robert were standing in the kitchen and she, she came up with the name and, and it just was it perfectly resonates with what we're about. Yeah. So if there is one takeaway, I would say for our listeners, uh, it would just be to find a guy like Robert and stay close to him, uh, which is what I've done over the last couple of decade, decades. And then if you're really lucky, you've got a group of men um, that will also just influence you and inspire you to uh, to be better than you would be if you were alone. Yeah. All right. So I got to go back to the, the 12 groups, 23 weeks. Is that right? Or was it 23 weeks or 23 groups? Which one was it? No, it was 12, 12 groups, and okay. each, uh, the original curriculum in men's fraternity was 23 weeks long. That's so, back yeah. when we all had attention spans a little bit longer than we do now, right? <laughs> that we could do something 23 weeks in a row. Where, where were you doing that? Was this all in the church? Was this in your home? Was this at work? Where, where, was, where were you having, uh, yeah. hosting these? Well, that's some of the most fun parts. I mean, uh, one of the first things I did, like you know, all disciples, once you uh, find something you think others need to, to know, the first thing I did was I went and shared it with my brother, brother-in-law, uh, my dad. Uh, and so for 23 weeks, I would make the drive about 30 miles north. Every week, we would have dinner on Tuesday night and go through it. And so, uh, and then we did it here at my company. We did it actually twice uh, here. There was a time when we probably had uh, 150 guys in our Dallas office, and we would have as many as two-thirds of the men in our office here that would go through it. Wow. And uh, even we're blessed a couple of times to have Robert come share uh, live with us uh, the, the lesson as he was in town for a, a Leadership Network board meeting. That's good. So, yeah, lots of different places. Yeah, so when you and Austin went up to visit Robert, and he and uh, you said Dennis Rainey were already working on something, what were they calling it? Were they still calling it Men's Fraternity at the time? Yeah, to be clear, it was Russell Rainey. Oh, Russell, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, Russell Rainey, who is still with us and a, and a great uh, team member at Better Man. But it was it, it was actually, uh, at that time, they were using a, a title of it was called Man to Man. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we, we, uh, we shortly thereafter changed it from Man to Man to Better Man. That's good. All right, so let's do this. Look ahead to the future, Better Man, next four or five years. What excites you the most? Well, that's an easy one, Adam. I bet this is true probably for everybody in ministry, and that is to get to the other side of the COVID pandemic so that we can get people in a room together. Uh, In many ways, I feel like we've been ready to run for a time, uh, but we've really been held to a walk in this shutdown world of the last 18 months. Uh, So, But I have been reminded uh, many times of Proverbs 16.9 that says, uh, in a man's heart, he plans his course, but the Lord establishes his steps. I mean, we have probably, in fact, no doubt, we have certainly been uh, at the pace that God would have us. 
Uh, and we are still making an impact. Earlier this week, I saw that we're up to now, we just exceeded over a thousand groups that have gone through the, the Better Man curriculum. Uh, that's the thousand groups that we know about, uh, mm. by the way. Uh, we think there are many more that we don't know about, that right. they just happen organically. And so, you know, our best estimate is probably over 30,000 men have uh, gone through the curriculum so far. And again, it's been in a really shut down world where we can't do what is the uh, really the core of the plan. And so the core of the plan for Better Man is that we would do this in the church, uh, that it would become a uh, men's ministry program where you would gather whatever size church you're in, whether it's 100 men or 1,500 men, uh, you would gather them in a room, teach it live, and then they would, in small groups, uh, have the fellowship and the community aspect of of going through their manhood discussions together. Right. And so uh, uh, you you know that we officially launched Better Man in June of 2019 and had big plans for a ramp. Today, we would tell you that big ramp uh, happens in 2022. And so we're working closely with churches all over the country uh, looking for that um, that ramp really to start happening next year. Yeah. You know, you talked about this idea of being back in a room together. So this week uh, I was talking with my wife. This has been one of the the best weeks I've had, you know, from a work perspective in a long time. And I was trying to connect the dots and just go, what was it? It wasn't just, you know, I was, you know, things were going my way and uh, things were getting done off the to-do list. I realized I had, I had four uh, times where I was able to be in a room with other leaders talking through important things. And, and I think it was just that I was in a room with people, you know, that we weren't waiting for the awkward pause that happens on Zoom in between conversations or in between comments. And so I, uh, I echo what you're saying there. I can't wait till that is becoming a little bit more normal again. Yeah, we all long for that. Uh, and and uh, look, I, I, I said yesterday we started a meeting and, and we all get on Zoom. There were about 40 people on the call and no one said anything. Uh, we were all just there, and I said, boy, I hope this isn't the new norm, that we yeah. walk into a conference room and we just stare at each other until it's time to say go, you know, because yeah. that's what we do on Zoom. It's kind of hard to talk, have it really uh, is. You know, the pre-conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can report from the rooms that I was in, uh, that was not happening this week. People knew exactly what to do. It's kind of like riding a bike. We, we never forget how to be able to do that. Okay, let's transition and talk a little bit about your career. So uh, talk about that. You started off wanting to play professional baseball, right? <laughs> Uh, didn't we all? Uh, Adam, <laughs> yeah, I know I a little bit about your baseball uh, yeah. uh, love, and 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 I would just say, um, uh, I think we all grow up, um, Adam, with with big dreams, and and I'm reminded of what Bill Cartney said, you know, with college football and then Promise Keepers uh, uh, fame, if you will. But but Bill said that big dreams create the magic that stirs men's souls, and I believe that I still dream big. And uh, and I think that God has something incredible for the next season of life for me. And I, I think, you know, until the, the very last season, whenever that is, uh, I'm going to continue to believe that. But um, I did grow up uh, very much influenced by sports. Baseball was my uh, my favorite. And I chose some heroes. I, I think it would be, um, uh, you know, it's kind of helpful to think about who your heroes were when you were aspiring to be, you know, a professional baseball player. But mine were Steve Garvey and Cal Ripken. And so you kind of have to be as old as I am probably to even remember those guys. Uh, but I think it's important that uh, who those guys were. One of them I think of as, as Mr. Clean. That was Steve Garvey. He was always right down the middle, clean cut, you know, a guy that, uh, that, that just, uh, you know, emulated what a great baseball player would be. And the other, Cal Ripken, was the Iron Man. And uh, so their inspiration to me kind of put me on a path of discipline and perseverance. And uh, I think those are two things you have to have uh, over the long term to perform well. 
Okay, so here's my Cal Ripken story real quick. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, so that was my first Major League Baseball team that I went to go see play live. That's who I cheered for growing up. Baseball cards, 1982, was uh, was Cal Ripken's rookie year. His baseball card, my, my favorite player at the time was Mike Schmidt, third baseman for the Phillies, and so I was trying to do everything I could to get every Mike Schmidt card that was printed at that time. I traded Todd Parton. Todd, if you're listening, I still know you ripped me off. I traded Todd Parton, the Cal Ripken Jr. rookie card, for a Mike Schmidt in action card that is worth about 75 cents today. And my boys still give me a hard time about that. Uh, One of the worst baseball card trades ever. Well, Well, hey, I have to ask you, do you know how many games Cal Ripken's played, uh, consecutive games that Cal Ripken's played in? It was, oh, I watched that night. I remember him walking around or running around the stadium. I forget the number. Do you remember the number? It was in the thousands 2632 that's amazing over 16 seasons uh without missing a game that's that's uh that's remarkable i don't know if any i mean well you want to say nobody will ever break it i'm sure somebody will at some point but that is uh that's been standing the test of time for a little bit okay so uh baseball didn't work out and you had to find another career so how did that go for you well, it went great. Uh, look, I, I think uh, one of the themes you'll see in my life is that that I followed people that I would say, you know, mentor is the, probably the best description. But I had a mentor growing up. His name was Van Nichols. He was five years older than me in the small town that I grew up in. And he's the kind of guy that you would want to have as a mentor. Mm. Uh, if you could model his life, you know, you would be modeling the life of Christ, which was uh, a, a good thing. Well, Van went into the oil and gas business uh, and he came to me, uh, you know, when I was a senior in high school or so, and he said, Hey, uh, you need to come into this business. It was a heyday for the oil business at that time. Uh, unfortunately, by the time I got there in 1984, I think, uh, crude oil hit about six bucks, uh, in 1984. And it was a terrible place to be for a few years, but that is the career that I chose. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So let's talk about like the, uh, the integration of work and faith for you. Uh, cause obviously, uh, following Jesus. How old were you when you were really serious about following Jesus? What, did that happen in your teenage years? Well, I actually became a believer when I was seven years old okay. uh, at a revival at my Baptist church in my hometown. Okay. So early, early in life. All right. So this 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 uh, integration of faith and life was uh, obviously then something that was uh, not new for you when you started your career. How did you think about that? Think of those early few years when you were just starting off your professional career what were some practical ways that you tried to integrate your work and your faith? Well, first of all, let me say that I started slowly, because uh, if you'd chosen a time in my life uh, for, that I was walking, my walk was the furthest from the Lord. It was about the time that I started my career. Okay. So, so I became a believer when I was seven, and uh, it, was a, it was a personal uh, faith in that it wasn't a family faith. My family didn't go to church, but I lived two blocks from the Baptist church. And, um, and, and I just, I love the Lord. I walked, uh, passionately with the Lord from the time I, you know, accepted Christ at about seven until I was about 15. But as you know, when you get to be a teenager, uh, and it's your decision on Sunday morning, uh, or your decision on Tuesday morning, whether you're in the word or you're going to church, uh, you can, um, you can drift. And I did. And so, uh, that drift became a greater drift, even when I got to college and so as I came out of college, I would probably was in the worst place of my life spiritually. Hmm. And so as I started my career, uh, it wouldn't have been the thing that influenced it. But the good news is, um, by the time I was in my early 30s and I started the, the predecessor company to the company I'm with today, so it's basically been one continuation since I was 30 years old to the company that I'm with today, which is InLink Midstream. 
But by that time, I was in a much better place spiritually, and my faith was beginning to inform everything that I did. And so in the early days of the company, uh, we sat down to define the purpose as we, as we had kind of a, a, a defining moment in our organization. We sat down to define the purpose of the organization. And right in the middle of our purpose statement, there were three words that have never left, uh, and that was to have more life because of what we were doing and who we were doing it with. And so uh, I shorten it all the time to just say that the words more life is at the forefront of everything we do. And even today, uh, we have magnetic boards outside of our offices or our workstations, and we encourage our team to put pictures and things there that represent what more life is to them. Hmm. And so even just this morning, right before we got on this call, uh, I replaced a picture on my more life board that is my two grandsons sitting in a, in a big uh, uh, group of pumpkins uh, at the Dallas Arboretum. Uh, because today, that is a big part of what more life to me is, is to have healthy uh, family, have healthy grandchildren, and to do everything that I can to be a part of that. That's great. What a great story. And, you know, it's really interesting. I'm listening to a book about Chick-fil-A right now. Uh, I think the guy, author's name, Steve Robinson, he, I think he was the one that was over marketing for, for so many years there. He told the exact same story as having such a big moment in his life, writing the Chick-fil-A purpose statement, you know, and, and uh, a lot of times those statements are written, and then they're filed away. And it sounds like, you know, for Chick-fil-A, it stayed front and center, and it sounds like for you, it did as well. Well, it, it really has. You know, I don't know, uh, Adam, it just has never, it, it's never left my mind as yeah. I make decisions in the organization. You know, what many people don't know is where it actually came from. Uh, you would recognize it, John 1010. 10. Uh, uh, Jesus came that they would have more life. And, and, uh, and so, uh, we never attached that to it, but to me, that was always what it represented. Yeah, and what's so great about that truth as well is that uh, regardless of faith background, uh, that's an attractive message to everybody, right? And, totally. and where you can find yeah. so much commonality with people regardless of, of what they believe. So let's think about, you know, now that you're the, the chairman, CEO of a publicly traded company, so in many ways, Barry, you have kind of, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, you've made it, right? You've achieved what a lot of young leaders dream of. Uh, when you first were named CEO, what what surprised you the most? Well, you have to understand how I got to be CEO, uh, because it's probably not what many people would think about. Um, so when I started the predecessor company, there were two people, myself and a, and a part-time secretary. And so in those early days, I wore many hats, and uh, I'm not really sure any of them were the CEO hat. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, I, I would think, Adam, you might be familiar with what I'm talking about right now, given your uh, yes. early stage entrepreneurial journey. And uh, but I will go to a point in time when maybe the CEO hat was you know, needed. And I started to wear that hat and say that what I recall the most was that the org chart that I had always envisioned really seemed to be reversed from what. Uh, you would see when you look at it on a piece of paper. Normally, the CEO is at the top and everyone else is under them. And you might think that they report to and serve the CEO. Mm -hmm. Well, what I quickly came to realize is that it is totally in reverse. Mm. Uh, I feel like the CEO works for everyone in the organization. And uh, he is simply a servant. Uh, and I was helped to understand that. Maybe this is a, a really good way to understand the way that I lead. But years ago, I read the story uh, in, uh, in, a, in a leadership book called Leo the Leader. And um, I, I often think about this uh, as I think about who I want to be as a leader. But in this story, there was a band of men on a mythical journey going uh, across the desert. 
And the central figure is Leo, who accompanies the party on their journey to basically be their servant, servant to do their menial chores. Uh, and also he is there to sustain them with, you know, kind of spirit and song. Right. Uh, he was their cheerleader, the person who believed in them and more importantly, made them believe in themselves. And uh, everything goes what great on the journey. Uh, they're just right on course. Everybody's happy. Things are going great. Uh, and then Leo disappears. And the group falls into disarray, and they completely abandon the journey. And and what you realize is um, that they couldn't do it without their leader, who was Leo. Wow. And many years later, one of the people on the group, they find Leo, and, and uh, what they learn is that he's part of this great organization and uh, who they thought was their servant. He, in fact, was the head of this great organization. And they had seen, lived out the, the practice of servant leadership. And so that's what we do here. Uh, I believe it is my role to model that, but, but also very importantly to, uh, to train it uh, in a way that, you know, uh, someday when I'm not here, there will be many Leos. And there are today. In fact, I, I, I've got, you know, different names for Leo all throughout our organization. And uh, and it makes a great impact on on our team. I really I, that that's encouraging to hear. I'm not surprised that was your answer, which is why I wanted to ask you that to, to get to just to hear you confirm uh, what I uh, suspected you were going to say. I think about my own leadership journey and you know work faith integration uh, on top of all of that. And I remember there was there was one time in my career a few years ago I did get a promotion. It was maybe one of the largest teams that I was I was going to lead. And honestly, once I was uh, told that this was going to be the new role I was going to take over, there were there were a few moments, maybe on the drive home that day, where I had this thought that that went something like this: like, finally, there are going to be some people that will serve me, right? Because I feel like for so long in my career I was serving others, and I don't know where that thought came from, but it was embedded in me, you know. And I I tried to repent of it and just go, why is that there? And I, I, too, just had this, this idea, even after reading God's Word, even knowing and seeing Jesus' model for discipleship and leadership of being a servant leader, taking initiative for the benefit of other people, but there was still this part of me that was hoping that there would be this group of people around me that would serve me. Um, where do you think that comes from? Why, why do you think that's so common for us? Well, look, I mean, let me first say that I think the Scripture that you refer to that it comes from, to where what it should be, is uh, probably my best uh, example of that is Mark 10, 42 40 through 45, where Jesus gathers his disciples together and he tells them, whoever wants to be great must be a servant, mm-hmm. and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And uh, so, so that's, what we, that's what it's supposed to be. But I right. think what happens is culture tells you something completely different. Mm. And because culture is so evident in our world, it creates the confusion uh, that it is to be served. And so that's what we see. You know, I've had a chance to, to see leadership in other, you know, darker places of the world, say Central Africa, for example. And that's what you see there is it's the upside down model, um, uh, you know, where leaders uh, are there serving themselves and and taking advantage of the people. And, and that's that's not a good place to be. Yeah. So I uh, we recently had Ben Kirksey with uh, Work Matters on the Better Man podcast, and he was talking about one of the preconceived notions that a lot of people have with work, work and faith integration is that it just means to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the workplace, you have to be engaged in ministry activity in the workplace. So you have to share the gospel with people, you have to lead Bible studies, you have to uh, do pastoral care type conversations or care for people there. And he was really trying to expand 
uh, people's definition or that, that, yeah, that's fine. You know, there may be opportunities to do ministry activity while at work, but uh, saying your work matters to God and integrating your work and your faith is not reducing it down to just that. Uh, talk about your own journey with that and understanding, you know, how you have been trying to integrate that more. And it's not just the ministry activities. There's there's more to it. God God thinks your work matters. How, how do you think about that? Yeah, look, I mean, I think you go right back to the um, the very first chapter of, of Genesis. When God creates man, he puts him in a garden, he gives him work. Mm-hmm. Work is an important part of what we do. And in fact, uh, it is one of the pillars of the definition of of manhood that we use in Better Man, which is to excel at your work. It is yeah. a God-given role. And um, now, so also what God gives us uh, in, in his description of the way we're to carry that out is uh, is that it is to be done as if we are working for him. Mm. And so that means that we are to uh, cultivate the people, um, to care for the people, to love the people that you're actually serving. And, uh, and so... Uh, that's the way I think of it. You know, I've had people ask me, you know, what's the hardest part of my job or how do I, you know, most uh, clearly define my job? And I said, you know, I think it's for somebody that understands what a pastor does. I said, it's no different than a pastor. Uh, for somebody that doesn't understand that, sometimes I'll say that I'm an executive, you know, of people because mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part of it. In fact, I was reading, I know you're a big fan of Major League Baseball. Uh, I was reading the article of the Atlanta Braves uh, coach. And uh, he said, it, it's not about baseball. It's a great story, by the way. He's was 65 years old before yeah. he became a major league uh, uh, manager. And he said, it's not about baseball. It's about people yeah. and all the other stuff. And I would say for us, it's not about building pipelines and moving energy products across pipelines. It's about the people that are required to do that. And Adam, if I'm if I'm sure about anything about my career, you know, when people look back uh, that have worked with me, that's what they're going to say is mm. that it was about the people. Um, if I've done anything, you know, with, with passion, it, it has been to uh, to be here for people and to serve and, and to care for people. That's really, really good. So, you know, with, with more responsibility, Barry, comes uh, oftentimes more scrutiny. And especially in today's day and age, you and I are recording this. It's the end of 2021, right? There's a... Uh, there's a lot of scrutiny, a lot of expectations on leaders that are out there. How have you really thought about living out your faith at work under scrutiny, under pressure, under a culture now that maybe uh, would prefer you not to talk about your faith or even mention your faith? How have you tried to navigate uh, those waters? Yeah, look, I I, uh, I think one of the questions I've been asked more frequently than anything else is exactly that. How do you live your faith in the marketplace? And and uh, what I would say is kind of a pithy question back, which is, how do you not? Mm. Because because faith is really, I mean, if it's a real faith, it is who you are. That's uh, good. And so how can you be anything different than who you are uh, on Monday through Friday, you know, uh, just like you are on Sunday or whenever it is that you're you're doing your ministry things? And so, um, so that's just what I try to be. Look, I, I will say it was different when we were a small private company. And I might sit around the table with people who I knew were like-minded from a faith perspective. I mean, I could be more open with that. Today, leading an organization of 1,200 people, being a public company where there's more visibility to the things that I do, uh, I would just say I try to adhere to the biblical principles of leadership and what it calls us to be as a person uh, and no one will disagree with that. That's right. Uh, which, which is, uh, you know, that's what I've done. I would say for the last, you know, several decades of just trying to be the person that God calls us to be, uh, not overlaying that my faith on or expecting my faith to be, uh, you know, adhered to by anybody else, but just 
the principles of leadership and the principles of being a godly person. I like so, that. That's that's helpful. All right, Barry, last question, and then I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, best advice you'd give a young man who is listening, they're, you know, they, they want to do it well. They really have a sincere uh, faith and appreciation, and they want to be this better man. They want to do things well at work. They want to do things well at home and in their community. So looking back over your life and uh, the different men that you've been working with, what would be some advice you'd give to that young man who is just starting some of this manhood journey and wants to do it well? Yeah. Awesome, Adam. And I'm going to give you maybe a little bit more than you would expect here, because I get the opportunity to do this in our our marriage ministry uh, at uh, our church, Watermark. One of the things that my wife and I do is we lead in in Merge. And at Merge, we often lead uh, in what's called the the roles in marriage. Hmm. And after we do the corporate talk for 45 minutes is, you know, with the, the men and women together, then we break out into a small group with men. And I often get the chance to share something uh, that I want to share with the group this morning, and that is uh, something that I heard Robert teach many years ago. So this will end right back with Robert where we began. <laughs> uh, and I think the title of, of of Robert's talk was The Six Characteristics of a Great Man. And uh, so I'm going to enumerate those. First is a having a clear vision of a, of a preferred future. Uh, and that is at the very center of what we do with Better Man. We believe that you need to have a vision, and that vision needs to have, you know, some, be defined. And so we use the definition, the four principles of, of manhood, uh, which is basically to courageously follow God's word, uh, to love and protect God's woman, to excel at God's work, and to make the world a better place. And so uh, I believe we all need to capture a preferred future. Uh, in Proverbs 2019, it tells us where there is no vision, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So uh, another way to say that uh, is that without a vision, we run around wildly in chaos. Yeah. And uh, that's what we see men do. So a preferred fu- vision of the future. Secondly, and I'll be quicker on this, is the Welcome honesty of other men in your life, okay? So have a community. Have men in your life and ask them to be honest with you where they see things that need to be, uh, that need to be corrected. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Yeah. And so there's so many ways that we see that we can be off. Thirdly, think and talk about Jesus a lot. Uh, you know, th- that's who we need to emulate uh, I think of John fifteen five, where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Fourth is to do the right things to experience God. Um, you know, Jesus did that. He modeled that for us. In Luke six twelve, it says that one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent an entire night there praying. And what he had to do the next day was to call his disciples, but he wasn't you know, where he needed to be until he had spent that time with the Lord. And so I would say as leaders and as men, uh, we have to experience God in order to be in a, in a, a place that we can actually lead and do the things that we would have. Fifth, encourage others. Uh, I heard a sermon once that said that uh, we're not given the responsibility to encourage ourselves, but we are given the responsibility to encourage others. Yeah, and that's others good. have been given that responsibility to us. And so, you know, if you're not in a group of men, so that men are in a position to encourage you, uh, then you're missing it. And so your responsibility is to encourage others. And then lastly, uh, I would say have the discipline that is necessary to do all of the other things, because without discipline, 
you know, we just we just want to accomplish what God has called us to do. All right, listen, that's that's a walk off homer right there, buddy. Like if we're going to keep up the baseball analogy, that is fantastic. That is great. And so you share that at Merge. Uh, that's that's typically where that where you where you uh, share that often. I, I do, Adam. And again, uh, if Robert listens to this podcast, he'll know exactly where it came from. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a it's it's a teaching that that he does, and he does so well. Uh, and uh, look, I've been blessed by it. It's uh, it's something that I think about regularly. And then lastly, I'll, I'm going to say I'll give a little credit to my friend Zig Ziglar. I used to sit in, in under the teaching of Zig Ziglar every week at Prestonwood Baptist early in my um, early in my life. Yeah. And uh, I used to love what Zig said. He said, "You got to be before you can do, and you got to do before you can have." We live in a world where people are walking around thinking about the things they want to have. I've had many young guys come to me and say, "Hey, I want the life you've got," mm-hmm. and uh, and it just it's got to start in a different place. You've got to be uh, before you can have, and so. Uh, thank God that it, uh, that I understood that in early in life. Yeah. All right, Barry, this has been fantastic. I'm really glad that the listeners got to uh, hear from you today and learn more about your journey and everything from, you know, your interaction with Better Man and helping get that off the ground and then some of your career journey. This has been a great, uh, great conversation today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be with you. I mean, how great was that list of those six characteristics of a great man? You have this vision of the preferred future. You welcome the honesty of other men. You think and talk about Jesus a lot. You do things to experience God. I think that is so well said. You try to encourage others, and then you have the discipline necessary to do all of those things. That is fantastic, fantastic advice there uh, for all men of all ages, but especially for young men that want to do it all well. Try to be a better man at home, a better man at work, a better man in their church and their community. And so, Barry, thanks for coming on the podcast today, sharing your story and uh, dropping that wisdom there at the end. And listen, if you're looking for a practical way to welcome the honesty of other men into your life, then you need to check out Better Man, our 11-week experience is designed to do just that, just to help you grow in your relationship with God while you're also on that journey with other men. So you can go out to betterman.com and check that out. This episode, like all episodes, has been mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man Podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.